0: is proud to present the WHS Healthy Shab Speaker Series. This week, Matt Halverson from deepeddypsychotherapy.com shares resiliency, learning more from getting back up than getting it right the first time. My name is Matt Halverson. My hope for today, just broadly, is to talk about resiliency and hopefully, um, like you guys are here for a reason, you care about this, things you care about your kids. Um, I'm hoping to give some nuggets, some things to think about that hopefully you take at least one small thing away in a way that can change um, like the way that your kids are experiencing life and living to be the adults that like they want to be and that you want them to be too. So just to kind of get into a little bit, we're just going to ask four main questions. We're really going to say like what is resiliency? Why is it important? We'll look at some some stats. Um, you probably know a lot of the stats already. We're not going to go into that too much. The the main things we're going to talk about are what's the impact of being resilient and like what's like our role as parents to actually like help that process so that it's not just, cool, we know this stuff, we know things that help with resiliency, but we actually are working towards becoming um, like parents and people that facilitate resiliency, not only in ourselves, but in our kids too. And uh, I want to kind of lead off too to say, if there's any questions, like please raise your hand. I, I, I'm not worried about getting off. I think like I want this to be something that is personal. If I just talk for the whole time and everybody says, that was great for him, but not for us, I will have failed. And I really want this to be useful for, for hopefully each of you that you can take something from this. So to, to start off, I think uh, like any presentation, just starting off with a basic definition, resiliency. So Miriam Mir- has two main ones. You can see uh, resilience is either the ability to, uh, of something to return to its original size and shape after being compressed or deformed or an ability to recover from or adjust easily to adversity or change. I think both of those are close at getting what we want to talk about, but really what we're looking for for ourselves and our kids when we talk about resiliency is like changing, growing, developing, and not crumbling. We're talking about we want them to change. We want them to be better than they were. We don't want them to stay like the little babies who can't even support their own necks or the little babies that cry when they don't have their binky. We want them to develop into adults who can handle the circumstances and the stress of life in a way that actually um, can change things. And so, like be brittle and fall apart. So um, really what we're talking about is over the long term, how can our children, how can we grow even through like short-term suffering and short-term things that are, um, frankly, very difficult. So to start off with this, uh, I got a little bit of this from Dr. Kenneth Ginsburg. He talks about the seven C's of resilience. And so we're going to talk a little bit about this now, and then we're going to get uh, more into this in a little bit. Um, So you can read this, and we're talking about competence, confidence, connection, character, contribution, coping, and control. Um, So competence, really just talking about, like, knowing you can handle a situation, knowing you have the skills to be able to take care of it. Like confidence, which is coming from your idea of competence, like belief in your own abilities as a, like a human. Um, Connection, really, I mean, there's a lot of things we could talk about with connection, but really we're talking about, like, security and belonging. We're talking about knowing you're a part of something that you're not just an island by yourself. That you're with people and you have a, a place there. Um, character, this is one that we could argue a lot of different ideas about what are morals, what are right or wrong decisions, but the idea that like our character is forms is formed by a sense of values that helps us determine right or wrong. Not that we all agree exactly what right or wrong is, but that we have a, a sense of values that helps like shepherd us along the way. Um, contribution, realizing that we have a, like, a place, like our actions, make a difference. You know, how I am in this space or how I am in a different space impacts how other people are and that it's not just me being helpless by myself, but it's like me acting and the world takes effect. Um, coping skills, this could have been a thing we could have talked about the entire day. Just coping skills, how do we handle the stress that we experience? Uh, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the stresses that um, your kids are feeling and some of the things that like, they might be doing to help. And uh, we'll get into that one specifically uh, in a little bit. Uh, and lastly, control, like kind of similar to contribution that our choices make uh, make a difference. And so uh, along with the seven Cs, the other thing that we have is the four, like four major factors of resiliency. And so this is the center of the developing child at Harvard University that came up with these four factors. And really the biggest one, if you hear nothing else, um, it's the facilitating supportive adult-child relationships. It's that, like that idea that, like our children know, there's a someone who's an adult who's older who's been through life um, that can help them and support them along the way. That's the biggest thing that that they found at that uh, at Harvard. Um, in addition, like building a sense of self-efficacy, perceived control, providing opportunities to strengthen adaptive skills, um, coping, uh, and mobilizing sources of faith, hope, and cultural tradition. And so, really, you can kind of see how those main four factors really flow flow really nicely with the seven C's that it's like this idea of like being connected to community having coping skills knowing that our choices make a difference and like having a set of values that help us like organize all that and make decisions based upon it and I think where it leaves us is great so this is good and all in theory but how are we actually going to be practical about it and so this is the the first thing I want to do that I'm going to ask for some help um, for you guys before we get into like what to do I want to get like a good idea of what we're like actually dealing with, and so I'm going to take uh, a whiteboard marker, and all that I would like is for people to shout out like things that like your kids are stressed about. And I'm going to put them up on the board as we can, just to kind of get an idea of like the real life stress that your kids face. So what what are some of those stressors? Tess. Great. Great. Homework. Friends. College, huge one. Yeah, what else? Deaf Siblings. Parents, sure. No. Girlfriends, boyfriends, yeah. Relationship. Independence, sure. Like, trying to figure out how to balance, like, how that even looks like. Gaming, Gaming yeah. yeah. Like, figuring out what, like how to have fun, but also, like, not just waste all your time behind a screen, sure. Parents. Social media. Social media. Like what to even do with the future, like yeah, I mean the the, the image that they have of the future, uh-huh. is very you know. uh huh. scary. like because of the like uncertainty of it, or the like the the monotony of well, it to very scary. Like, sure. Yeah. Scary. There's so not an E in scary, is there? Yeah. I haven't written on a board in a long time. <laughs> Doesn't look right. Failure. Success. <laughs> yeah. Purpose. Yeah. Like purpose. Health. Yeah. Changes. Yeah. You know, like going to a new class or something as complicated as a move, or a parent's divorce, or you know, death of a friend, family, any of those things. A lot of stuff on there. A whole lot of stuff. Like, that you obviously are, no, like, you're not just coming out of these uh, ideas for nothing. Like, in your kids, maybe they don't put it in a list like this, but they feel this, too. Like, there's just, like, a lot. Like, whether it's tests, grades, homework, gaming, independence, social media, future, scary, global warming stuff, failure and success, siblings, parents, relationships, rejection, who am I, purpose, health changes, what to do and boredom and how to prioritize it all. Like, that's, like, a ton of stuff. And so, I think, like, why I had us to do this is kind of gives us, like, a little bit of a, a framework to um, like know a little bit more about what our kids are actually dealing with. Like You, you know this stuff, and so it's not new per se, but hopefully it's like, new to look at it all at once. Um, the American Academy of Child and Adolescent Psychiatry adds like some of these ones as, not necessarily like a top 10 per se, stressors in a teen's life, but a lot of the things that we've mentioned too, like school demands, changes in their bodies, um, divorce, neighborhood, health, moving, social media, like finances. There's just like all the things that we've said today are backed up by like what like the professionals and what the people doing this research are seeing. Um, I think the next one is stats. Yeah, so I don't want to be exhaustive with, um, with stats, but I do want to give like a few stats about, like so the things you've said, researchers are seeing it too. Um, so in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology, um, they had several, Findings, there's a, again, there's a ton more we could talk about, but I really just wanted to have a couple things about this and one more slide about it. But major depression increased 52% from 2005 to t- 2017. Um, so in teens, it was 8, 8.7% of the total population, and it moved to 13.2% who are experiencing like a major depressive um, episode. Um, in young adults, from 18 to 25, um... You see it's from 8.1 to 13.2. So in that similar, like, 1 out of 10, maybe 1 out of 9, um, of our, like our kids are experiencing depression. Um, psychological distress, which um, I went into a little bit more detail for this one. So the like Dr. Jean Twenge, she's the, the person who did this study. Um, there's some citations at the end if you want to double-check if you're into the nerdy stuff like I am. Uh, like she, discuss, she describes psychological distress as that nervous, hopeless like everything in life is an effort, um, rose by 71%. Um, Death from suicide increased 56% um, from 2008 to 2017. So, like, there's just, like, a big push. The things that you mentioned are not just things we can know and not do anything about. There's things that we should, like, be doing something about. And so to go a little bit different, so not just depression but also an anxiety, uh, National Institute of Health says that one in three um, of our teens between 13 and 18 will have some type of anxiety disorder. Uh, and then going further into some of the things you mentioned about college, you know, when, the, when our students get to college, 34% uh, report feeling overwhelmed, um, which is, uh, let's see, yeah, 34% in 2019, and that's a jump just up four or 5% from 2000, but then a huge jump from 1985, where it was only 18%. Um, and then similarly, like deciding where to go to college. Um, I thought this was just kind of an interesting random fact, like 32% um, in 1983 and then 42% in 2009 like, went to college because their parents wanted them to do it. And so I think college is great. As someone who went to college, I think it's awesome. I very much would not be the person I am today without college. Um, the thing that I want to call attention to is like there's this point that our parents like, have a role in how like, our kids are being shaped. And so I think, um, I, I bring all these up just to kind of illustrate, um, like, you know the role you have, but I want to affirm that you have a big role in, like, the lives of your kids, and they, they know it, even if they're you know, not willing to say it in the kindest of ways. Um, okay, so I want to get a little bit nerdy, so stick with me on this one. Um, how many people have heard of schemas? I assume in some level. Okay, I just want to break it down. Schemas are just like the way we like, make sense of the world so that we don't have to keep making sense of the world over and over and over again. So, how many of us today thought that, like I wonder what Matt's wearing? Like, did anybody say, I don't know if that's a shirt or not? I assume everybody said that's a shirt. Uh, my guess is you haven't seen this, and like that's the beauty of the schema, like your schema of like what a shirt, like the way you make sense of a shirt is that like it has sleeves, it covers my body, and so whether you haven't seen this exact shirt before you know that's a shirt and you can go about your day. And so like we wouldn't be able to like really be present in life if our schemas didn't function at least a little bit to be able to help us do these things quickly. In the same way we have a schema for chair and for shoes and for camera and for, for TV, all those things. Um, like the goal of our schemas is to grow in the complexity. I'll give an example in a minute. But before we do that, the, uh, like the biggest thing to know about is there's four main questions. Um, What can I expect? What's expected of me? And then, when we're in a uh, distressing situation, we really only care about two: Um, where's the danger? Where's the resource? Like, so our bodies can just, and our brains can just simplify all this information to like make sense of it. And so, I think the best way to give uh, like an example of how this actually matters, because whether or not you recognize this as a shirt doesn't really matter in your daily life. But I want to give an example of um, like a playground that, that I've heard before that I really like. So if you can imagine two different scenarios with me. Uh, the first situation, there's a, a four or five-year-old child. They're on the playground. They're by themselves. Their parent or caregiver is you know, within eyesight, but you know, is talking to a friend or something. And the kid like, goes up on the playground, falls on some water, scrapes their knee, and like, is falling down, obviously in pain. Like, in that moment when they yell out for caregiver or parent or teacher, um, situation one, let's imagine, like, the, ki- like the parent doesn't come. It's so like, what, is, what does the kid do? Like, they know they're in pain. There's this red stuff. It's blood. Is it ever going to stop? No one's here to help me. I don't know what to make of this. Am I going to die? Is the blood going to stop? What do I do? I'm having these emotions. I'm scared. I'm anxious. I'm, like, nervous. I'm, I, I don't know what to do. Uh, in that moment, like, what does the kid do? Like, I think our bodies are really adaptive, And so what he probably does is kind of like steel himself or herself up and say, this emotion is dangerous. It's not helping me actually survive. If I am in danger, I better get the heck out of here. No one's here to help me, so I can't do it on my own. I don't know what hurt me, so I can't trust like this whole situation. Um, Like the, the kid learns that like the world is dangerous and no one's there to help. And they survive but you can kind of see like the cost potentially that this kid isn't going into this like conscious, here's what I want to learn about the world, but like through their experience, you can kind of see what they're learning. And so if we imagine a second scenario, um, same kid falls, scrapes his knee, uh, but when he calls out like parent or caregiver or teacher comes, like we've all seen those parents or teachers who can come up and say, oh my gosh, like looks like you fell. Like, oh, is that the water over there? It looks like you slipped on the water and, like, you scraped your knee. Oh, my gosh, there's, yeah, it's bleeding pretty good. It probably hurts really bad and showing empathy. Uh, like, well, let's get, a, let's get a Band-Aid, and we'll get that. It'll probably hurt for another five minutes, and it'll be okay. We'll get you back to class. It's like a plan. Oh, you must be really scared, like, affirming the emotions. Like, oh, like I remember when that happened to me, like, being able to show that this is not something that's crazy. Uh, giving instruction. Next time you're on the playground, like, watch out for the water. Sometimes it's really slippery. Uh, And, like, you can see that kid just being, like, warmly embraced by the caregiver, teacher, parent in a way that that kid doesn't learn that everything's dangerous and what am I going to do? Like, like he learns someone's there to help. Someone can be supportive. Like, the parent is giving their more complex schema and helping the child literally learn, like, through direct experience about why this is important, why this makes a difference. I think the, the best example that I've seen is you've seen those kids that once they learn something, they just want to tell all their friends. And so that kid in this, again, hypothetical situation, you can almost imagine them going up to the playground next and telling one of their friends, oh, watch out for the puddle. Like, I slipped on the puddle, and I got really hurt, but I got a Band-Aid, and it was okay. Like, like it's, like, really silly, but, like, that kid learned that I'm not just on my own when I have struggles, that I can reach out to people and be supportive. Um, and, like, when we're talking about resiliency, that's really what we're looking for, is how can these schemas be formed in a way that, like, our children and ourselves, too, we know we're not alone. We know, we know we're not by ourselves. We know we can reach out and we can have support. And we have people that can be a caring, caring of us. Um, and so really what we want to do, what we want to think about is um, like what kind of adults we want our kids to become. And so I want to do another quick um, thing on the on the whiteboard. So if we're thinking about uh, the kind of adults that our kids our kids will become like what are what are some of the characteristics they were hoping for? Like what, what what kind of skills or what kind of um like attributes do we want them to have? Thoughtful. Thoughtful, yeah. Yeah. What was that one? Wanted. Wanted? Ethical, okay. I heard article, and that's why I was. Ethical is great. Yeah, you can take care of yourself. Yeah, what else? Confident. Confident. Resourceful. Resourceful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Competent. Yeah. Because so we could break some of the like. So, like when I when I think thoughtful, I think not just like by themselves, like but what about in the context of other people? Like, would you like was that considerate? Like empathetic? Yeah. Yeah, purpose. Yeah, any others you can think of that come to mind? Connected, Connected, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. We want them to have friends. We want them to... Yeah, be healthy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Both being very important. Yeah, they wouldn't just be... Like, that they could be self-sufficient, but also, like, with people, and not just for themselves, but, like, spread that and pay it forward. Successful. Successful, yeah. Yeah, that they wouldn't just be failures and have, you know, everything single, like, stress go poorly in their life and never have anything go right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great one helpful I think yeah definitely important yeah you can almost feel how a lot of these are like related to the list we made earlier like the that like, we know that like our students are facing are very much related to hopefully if we made a list of the hopes that they would have for themselves my guess is it's going to match something pretty close Yeah. Why would that be important? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, they wouldn't just be satisfied to like, motivated. Yeah. Yeah, like if there's if there is a healthy ambition. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, sense of humor, we'll talk about that more with, like, some of the coping, but, like, that's a great one, just being able to have some humor to go through life with, because, frankly, if we just looked at the news all day, it'd be pretty tough. (laughs) Life is tough out there. Yeah, any other ones? I feel like this is a pretty good list. Responsible. Responsible, yeah. I think, I mean, for our purposes, this is, like, a great list, right? It kind of, like, I I wanted to do this because of two reasons. One, like, I know this to be true. And I feel like sometimes when people come and talk, it's like, okay, cool, how are we going to feel bad about what we're doing as parents? That's not at all what I want to try to do today. I want to say you have an amazing idea for what the life of your kids is going to be, and frankly, I'm I'm assuming that a lot of these things are are true for yourself as well. It's like, these are the type of people that you're hoping to be, and these are the types of people that you want your kids to grow to be, and that's fantastic. I think the thing that I want to, like, come to is, like, trying to figure out how we actually, like do these things and what's the best way to actually have these things be um, like things that actually sink in and stick rather than just things that are nice ideas that don't actually come to fruition. And so before we do that, uh, I found this list. Um, Is this too small? Can anybody read this for the most part? Um, It just throws challenges and future characteristics and life skills. And we didn't talk much about this, um, so I want to at least mention it. That like the challenges that you face as parents are real. I think it'd be really easy for us just to say, you know, here's what you can do to be a better parent without acknowledging the difficulty that is like raising children. I think if we all think back to ourselves as children, we realize that like we could be tough to raise ourselves, but specifically with like your children that you have today, like all of these things on this left side of the column um, are clearly frustration points. Whether it's something as you know simple as you know, whining about what's for dinner, uh, or texting all the time, uh, or something as strong as like being defiant, or you know, like being rude or being disrespectful. There's all sorts of things that make you know raising children really difficult, especially because of the list that we've made. Like we don't want our kids to be like people who don't listen, they back talk, they don't have any amount of motivation. All they do is interrupt, and they're on their screens. Like we want them to be the people like the list we made like, that are thoughtful and confident and um, have purpose and, um, like, act with compassion and use their resources and feel belonging, um, all other things on this list. Because um, that's, like, that's what, like, that's what we want. We just do. Um, and so I wanted to bring that up because that's kind of the tension that we find ourselves in is that, like, our kids aren't the people that we want them to be yet. And, like, here's our vision for what we want to do. And so... Um, What I want to talk to you next is kind of the, like, the the main questions we want to try to figure out is, like, how can we help, like, our children fail in small ways so that they don't fail in big ways? I think all of us in the room, I can make, I'll make an assumption, but I feel like it's pretty, it's probably pretty safe. Uh, Like, none of you want your children to fail on a large scale. I feel like that's pretty safe. Um, I think the question becomes, like, how do we know what's, like, big or small and, like, what, what choices there are. Um, and to me, like, these are the kind of questions that ultimately get at some of these things. Like, does, does your child know that you believe in them? Do they know that they have a chance to develop some, like, autonomy? What's the definition of success for your child? And does your child know that they matter to you? Or, yeah, not as a score or set of perfect behaviors. And I wanted to, to share something that uh, I didn't appreciate um, in the moment, but I've since come to really appreciate it. So when I was uh, 13 and 18, uh, my dad is not a man of many words. He's, uh, he's a Norwegian. Um, so uh, the joke about Norwegians is, how do you know an extroverted Norwegian? Uh, he looks at your shoes instead of his own. And uh, not that he's a, a bad guy, but he's not one to make a bunch of different moments. And uh, something that he did that I'll, that I'll never forget is when I was 13, he just like, slipped a letter on my bed without me knowing. And uh, I read it, and uh, I meant to bring it today, but I forgot. But it said something, I still have it, that's the, the punchline, you can kind of know that that, what that means, but uh, uh, it said something close to, like, we know that things are changing, we know that you're growing up, and we can't stop that, but we want you to know that we love you, and we love the man that you're becoming. And that was, like, so important for me to hear. Uh, as a 13-year-old, I was like, Dad, that's dumb, it's bad, I threw the letter in a case somewhere. Uh, Five years later, when I turned 18, uh, there was another letter on my bed. And uh, I opened it up, and I read it, and it said something very similar. It says, "Now you're going off to college. Um, There's parts of us that really want to care for you, and there's parts of us that don't know what's ahead, and we want to protect you from everything. Um, And there's a big part of us that knows we can't do that. And uh, know that we're always on your team. Know that we're always in your corner. You can ask us for anything you need. Um, and like that was just so touching, but the thing that was the most touching for me, knowing my dad, is I looked on the back of the letter, and in the same letter was the one from 13 too. So like, my dad, again, I didn't appreciate it then, but I appreciate it so much now that like somebody who has terrible handwriting and like chose to type it out so I could actually read it, um, had written this letter to me, again, saying the thing that he couldn't say out of his own mouth, but saying the thing that he could write and that he felt, and that helped me to know that yeah, I'm going to fail. Yeah, I'm going to mess up, but that, like, my parents are there for me. I think, again, I'm not trying to, like, it, it feels a little bit, like, biased to say, like, and this is why you should, like, write this letter for your kid. But, like, at least in, in my life, that's all I'm trying to share is, uh, I know that when my mom, uh, my mom was taking me back for fall pause or something in college, and uh, we started talking about what college is like, and you can imagine alcohol is going to come up pretty soon. And to that point, I hadn't had any alcohol and when my mom asked me, hey, Matt, so uh, these parties you're mentioning, is there any alcohol there? What's going on? Uh, I was honest with her. I was able to share, like, that with her, and it didn't feel like this huge burden. It was awkward. It was awkward as all else. But uh, I don't know. I'm not here to tell the future or the past. But for me, that was really important that I knew, like, my mom wasn't someone who's was going to get on my case about it, but was someone who going to be curious about it, someone who's going to be um, interested in about it, someone who had, like, those concepts in mind um, for me. And uh, what I want to get into here is kind of giving a little bit more information about, like, so what do we, what do we actually do with it? And so I want to go back to the, the four factors and the seven, the seven C's. And so just to give a little bit more uh, detail into some of, those, um, some of those exactly. And so this is kind of going back to what Dr. Ginsburg uh, is saying. So if we're talking about competence, Um, Some of the things he recommends are, like, empowering children to make choices, Um, helping children focus on individual strengths, and identified mistakes on specific incidents. Not just grand, this is a mistake, but, like, oh, did you catch this specific part? Um, Being careful to protect the child so they don't get the message that they're not competent to handle things while not pushing more than they can handle. To me, this is one of the biggest, like, tension points as parents how do we know when we're pushing our child to do something that maybe they're not ready, but how do we not do everything because we know they're not ready yet? Like, I think this is going to be the constant struggle. I wish I could give you uh, a perfect template of here's how you parent your child through all these specific instances. If I asked you all to think of, well, what would you do about this? What would you recommend? I almost guarantee my answer would be, I don't know what's best for your, for your kid or for your child. My, my point in bringing out these ideas is I think the more that we think about the type of decisions we're making, um, the more that we have the idea that's gonna help us have the long-term like support that our kid really needs. And so, the uh, example that I'm thinking about this. Again, I didn't think about this as a kid, but when I was in fifth grade, uh, I played soccer. I ended up playing soccer in college for a couple years over in Pennsylvania, if you've heard of Dickinson College. Um, Love that school. Uh, but in fifth grade, there was a, a cross town team called the Flames. And so I don't have time to talk to you about what the Flames exactly meant. But in short, they were the best team in, in the city. They had all the best players. They had all the best coaches. And they had like, recruited to make this team the best. They were just going like, to wipe the floor with everybody else. And so I was playing at the YMCA. And so you can imagine, my team had some people who were really good at soccer and really cared about it. And they had other people who would have been happy doing anything. And their parent just kind of forced them to be there. And so when I get the call from Mike Pierce... Uh, The coach of the Flames, he said, hey, Matt, like some of the guys on the team have been saying, like they've been playing with you at the schoolyard, think you're pretty good, do you want to join our team? Uh, That was like a huge honor, but one thing that I'll never forget is my dad said to me, Matt, whatever you want to do, you can choose. And I didn't know about the financial, like part of the decision, I didn't know about any of that. All I knew at that moment as a kid is that my dad said, you make the choice, if you want to go play on the Flames, we'll support you. If you want to stick with your your YMCA team or more your friends are, you can do that. And for me, I stuck with the YMCA team. And again, I don't know what I would have done if my parents would have just said, you know, you need to go on this team. Uh, The thing that my dad told me afterwards, which in hindsight I'm very happy that he didn't tell me then, uh, he said that Mike Pierce told him, like, your kid won't play in college if he doesn't join my team. Like, if you want your kid to be, like, doing things long term and actually have success, he can't be on the YMCA team. And so, again, I didn't go pro. I played co-ed rec league here in Austin, and I love that. Um, But, like, the success that I had, I got to believe that it was partly in due to me having the choice to go forward and play with my friends and still have fun instead of going to a team which, frankly, would have made me a lot better player but would have been a lot more, like, strict and all this other stuff that, at fifth grade, I was not ready for. And so I think part of this is, like, how do we like, hold that balance of, like, pushing our kids to do things they can't do while also, like, helping believe in them in ways that, like, they can move forward with it. And so, I mean, competence and confidence are on the same side for a reason that, like, how do we build confidence, like, recognizing when, like, our child has done well? Um, I'm sure you as parents know when your kid has done well. The question becomes, like, how often do you, do you say it out loud? How often do you make it, like, so obvious that they can't miss it? Because I'm thinking about myself. Like, I'm sure I missed tons of times that my parents complimented me. I don't have a ton of examples, like, oh, this was a time, this was a time. But I'm sure over time that, like, some of those things sunk in. Um, somebody was talking about siblings earlier, um, like, focusing on the best in each child so they know, you know, what they what they do well. Like, like clearly expressing best qualities, um, fairness, integrity, persistence, kindness, things that we might mention in the list, not just... Oh, like you are successful because you got this score or got into this school or those things. Like we want we want them to be like these kinds of people, like the thoughtful, confident, purpose driven people, not just someone who gets into X school or X club or has X leadership position. Like we know that those things contribute to like more success, but the things that are gonna be persistent in their lives beyond whatever school they go to are the things that you mentioned earlier, like how someone is gonna be empathetic and how someone can be accepting and, and help others. Um, if we move on to the, some of the other C's with connection, uh, a big piece to help build and support um, our kids towards connection is like building a sense of physical safety and emotional security, which kind of flows to like allowing expression of all emotions. And to me, again, this, this kind of points to another expression or another attention point. Like how do we allow expression of any emotion, but also do how do we still have boundaries for what is fair and right and respectful. I can imagine a situation where a child is very angry with their parent and chooses to share that anger using a lot of inappropriate language and a lot of demeaning talk. Like that's just not okay. So, like how do we help our kids know that there's ways to like share the anger and frustration in ways that don't like destroy other people, in ways that still are respectful, in ways that still like show those things. Like I'm angry right now or I mean I'm not here to let talk about how exactly to share anger, that's a whole, whole complicated thing in itself. But the idea being, like, how do we support like, all expression so that in those difficult times that our kids know that whatever they're feeling, they can actually feel and they know there's space for it. Um, and not something that I can't feel. Um, the example about this for, for my life is, uh, so again, I grew up with a dad who wasn't extremely expressive. And I think there's a lot of things that are really good about that. Help helped me stay pretty steady. I haven't been somebody who's way too high or way too low emotionally. But uh, one of the phrases that sticks out for me is the phrase, um, it'll be okay. Which I think is an amazing coping skill, amazing coping phrase. But for me, now that I've like, become a therapist, I'm doing my own therapy, I'm like, exploring what this means to me, Like it'll be okay was a way of me minimizing my emotions. Of me not being angry or sad or scared or anxious or sharing that with people that part of me believed that I couldn't be anxious or sad or scared because I didn't know what that was going to do. I wasn't going to hold that. I didn't I didn't see dad do that very much. I've seen my dad cry once and not that that's good or bad, but like that was something I I didn't just like feel like I could express anything. And all that to say, you know, I'm an adult. I'm working through this stuff. Like part of why we talk about resiliency in the context of Um, connection and being able to share your emotions is because it's like a works in progress thing. Um, We'll kind of, that's that's kind of the the preview to how we're gonna end with all this is like we're all works in progress. Like we ourselves and how we're modeling that with our kids are gonna be works in progress. Um, That flows really well into character and contribution that like how do we give examples of how um, like behaviors affect other people, um, specifically with social media I don't have the article cited here, but you've probably heard the same idea that uh, it's easier to be mean to somebody on social media because you don't have to look at their face and see the pain and the hurt that you cause. And so a lot of people can be bullies, like cyber bullies, in ways that it's just easier because you can say something hurtful but not have to deal with the consequences. And so really helping, like, our kids know that statements have an impact um, can be really important. Um, And kind of on the same idea, contribution, like knowing that... um, Like, we can be generous, and we can be um, allowing our children to have contributions, Um, knowing that we'd want them to be people who help people um, can really help with a lot of these, like, ideas of contribution to be able to make those all flow together. I think there's one more. Yeah, so coping and control. I know for the lack of time, we're going to be a little bit briefer than we could be here, but uh, I think a lot of this flows with, with us. Like, how can we as an adult in their life model what the coping process looks like? Like, when we're angry, what do we do? When we're anxious, what do we do? Like, when we're scared, when we're mad, when we're happy, like, how do we model the kind of coping that we want our kids to know? Because, frankly, much like me with my dad, like, we cope, or we cope the way we know works for other people. And what better way? I'll speak for myself. Like, I spent most of my time with my parents, 0 to 18. I had other parents that I knew or other adults that I knew, but most of the time, it's mom and dad. And so like the ways that I saw them fight with each other, have arguments with each other, like find solutions together, be a team together, cope with sadness, and all these other pieces really modeled what that even means for me. And so, um, like how, do, how we do that really is a huge impact. And so that would be something to, that I think is like a really important piece. And uh, kind of the second one is a little bit more specific. Uh, Dr. Ginsburg kind of gets at the idea that just saying to stop the negative behavior doesn't help. Like the idea of like stop being whiny or stop being rude. Like any of those things doesn't allow for the expression of what's underneath to come out. Like being curious about it. And I think you know this to be true. If I just told you, hey, just ask your kid what's wrong and they'll tell you, you know that's not always true. You know that this is a huge like leap to be able to make. That it's not just the one time you ask like, that they're going to do that. But the idea that just saying stop a behavior doesn't actually help. And so, again, this is where the tension, like, there's no perfect parenting book that I could just say, here's the thing, go take it. Um, the thing I want to just call to attention is understanding, kind of the next bullet point, like, that risky behaviors are an attempt to alleviate stress or, like, having some inappropriate behavior is the best they know to deal with whatever they're feeling, and helping them explore, figure that out, becomes much more important in the long term to get to be the kind of people that can be resilient, can be you know, resourceful, can be competent, um, rather than just saying, you know, stop that. Uh, last thing, control. Uh, life, life events are not random. Um, we could get into that a lot more as well, but the idea that uh, like the control that we exert as adults on children is not Punitive. It's very much like teaching. It's learning. It's how do we help them be the types of people that we want them to be. If, um, if we just discipline our kids, we're missing out on the, the opportunity to um, like really help them understand why. Because my guess is that all of you in this room are people who have had experiences that you want your kids not to repeat. Like you've had pains that you've had to go through. And helping them know that will help their life just be less stressful. I believe that to be true. And the question becomes, like, how do we help, like, our children kind of go back to the idea of what amount of failure is helpful versus what amount of failure is not helpful? I think a lot of that comes down to, like, the ways that we learn. Like, would I have learned that it's not okay to uh, hit as a kid unless I had some discipline about it? Would I have learned that it's not okay to be hurtful to people unless I had done it and I would seen, like, the negative ramifications of that or the harms in my relationships with that and learned to, like, overcome it and how to be kind and how to express my anger or frustration or anxiety in a way that doesn't just alienate people. Like some of those things are, are learned through tough experience. Um, I think that's something I'm, I'm thankful at my parents, that they gave me some of these pieces. They weren't perfect, but they gave me enough of um, what I needed in order to be like the person that I am today. And so the thing I want to end with um, is another visual. Um, there was a video that... Um, um, it's called the How to Raise Successful Kids. Uh, I really like it, and so it'll be in the PowerPoint that, uh, that Stacey will send out. And so you can definitely read that. I, li- I like it for a lot of reasons, but the last thing I wanted to do was do uh, another magic trick to, to just show a little bit about how um, I think things can kind of be. And so if we just pick any card, it doesn't matter, we'll do the, the six of hearts. I think the thing that I want to kind of illustrate is if we take the six... And if we think about all the stress that there is, if we think about all the, like the worries about the grades, if we imagine that like, this child is kind of getting stuck in all of the grades and then you have to think about how many different friend issues there are and that gets shuffled in. If we think about all the simple things about what our parents said to us or what our friends said to us or what our family said to us and everything gets this like chaotic mess and we don't know what's going on and ultimately we're kind of left. And then heaven forbid... Like something happens at school and like it really throws us off. If we think about how crazy all of this stuff, we're kind of left with this mess where like some things are not really making sense and our parents have ideas about what we should do and sometimes that we don't, we know that they don't know what to do either and I think my encouragement to you is if you think about the like the four factors in the seven C's that this is not something that like everything just like snaps and changes and gets better. I think the the world is still chaotic. The world is still stressful. The world is still a big old mess. Um, like everything is still in a random order. It's not just you know all back in a perfect mix. But the thing is at the end, at the long term, if we've done the things that we can do to help our kids develop these 7 Cs, that everything will eventually like turn out to be what it needs to be. And so um, yeah, I hope that you can take at least one little thing from from this and help that. Like how you model, how you do resiliency, and how you grow yourselves will really help um, your kids to be able to develop into the people that um, they definitely have in them. Yeah, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us. If you're interested in the archived video recording of this session, and any corresponding handouts or resources, please visit the WHS Healthy Chaps website at healthyshaps.weebly.com.